Happy fall, you guys. It's back here with Carter, and today we're with Dr. Hauer. This is going to be the fourth episode of the CNR Reporter podcast, which, uh, as you know, if you guys have been tuning in, uh, we're kind of getting to know our professors a little bit more, and we're going to get straight to the point about student involvement. So before I introduce our guest today, I want you guys to check out the CNR Reporter. There's going to be a U.S. Forest Service virtual career fair on Tuesday. And then UWSP is going to be hosting their own virtual career fair on Wednesday. Um, there's going to be a few office hours uh, for the CNR SSD uh, that you're going to be able to learn about SFE plants, uh, some of the equipment that you may need. You're going to talk about study abroad and there's going to be pets and painting and so much more. So make sure you guys check that out. And then there's also going to be some job boards that are coming out on the CNR reporter. So make sure you keep a close eye on that. Uh, so, so uh, just to begin, would you like to introduce yourself, Dr. Hauer? Sure. Thank you, Carter, for that nice uh, welcome to everyone. Yeah, I'm Dr. Hauer. And actually, I, I'm not a formal person uh, in the classroom. I really, it's fine, whatever a student calls me. I was once a student and I still am a student. We're lifelong learners, but I have a kid that I was the youngest of five and I always spent most, any time I could be outdoors, I was outdoors. Mm -hmm. And and I had no um, leash that my mom had me on. I was able to explore wherever I wanted to. I was born in Brainerd, Minnesota. So that's my birthplace. And we lived about two blocks away from the Mississippi river. And I spent a lot of my time actually near that river and doing things that my mom probably would not be happy with uh, <laughs> if she found out. But, you know, I'm sure we all have uh, those stories that uh, someday maybe a parent will find out, maybe not. But anyways, so being outside uh, was a huge part of my my life. And much like perhaps many of you, it's been a driving force of who you are and, and what you're doing uh, in life these days. Mm -hmm. I'd have to say, though, foundationally, yeah, it was the childhood having access actually to the outdoors mm -hmm. and uh, being able to have parents that just allowed me to explore without, you know, necessarily being worried. I'm a parent and actually, am I worried about my kids? Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe it's a mm -hmm. different uh, time frame that we live in. We live out in the country right now, but I still remember uh, being fearful of maybe my kids are playing out in the woods and someone somehow knows that you know, they're in the woods and they somehow find them and, and abduct them, you know, just like whatever that fear is that we have these mm -hmm. days. So some days that, you know, that has a damper of, of just being able to have the access to the outdoors of just maybe fearful parents. And you shouldn't. I mean, um, for the most part, uh, the outdoors are great. The positive benefits you get are just phenomenal relative to, you know, any fears that we may have. And so mm -hmm. uh, I also had an experience, um, you know, growing up on a farm for part of my life and Again, that foundational aspect of you know working with plants, seeing things grow, working with animals, watching them grow, and just you know the the whole aspects of of life and death on a farm in this case. You know, or as my dad would say, every season has a reason. So mm -hmm. using plants, this is the fall time of the year; it's time for harvesting. Mm -hmm. And then in the winter time, you kind of plan, regenerate, rejuvenate who you are. Spring, you plant, you see things start to germinate and grow. Mm -hmm. you, you culture them in the summer, and you repeat the cycle. And so all these seasons. You know, right now as a fall season we see cool colors which are the you know culmination hallmark of a lot of cool physiology that's gone in woody plants mm -hmm. so a little basis but the key denominating keystone thing of me is having access to the outdoors is what drives who i am today 
Is there a is there a better state? Is there a little secret that you can tell us? Do you like living in Minnesota better, or is it or is Wisconsin where it's at? Oh uh, no, I'll phrase it this way: I've had the opportunity to travel many places in the world, mm-hmm. and I would have to say, uh, most every place I've ever visited, I would go back in a heartbeat. I do refer to Minnesota as my birthplace state, and I refer mm-hmm. to Wisconsin as my adopted state. Mm-hmm. I uh, equally like both of them. They both have given me a lot of cool things in life. Boy, if I had to pick one place in the world, though, I wouldn't go, though, is Dallas, Texas. Uh, too, much, <laughs> too much concrete. I've got yeah. great friends that live in Dallas, but, you know, would I want to live there? No, all I saw was roads and concrete. So there are some cool green spaces in Dallas. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not. But you asked me how Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, I'm a Viking fan. I, I will admit that. Uh, but <laughs> Packers has always been my second favorite team. So at least I've got some redeeming quality, I suppose. Yeah. That, well, that's good for the students to hear, I guess. Right. Yeah. So when did you uh, come to Stevens point? When did you start teaching here? Oh, for teaching actually 2003, I was, I was hired to teach here. So certainly in the second decade of being at Stevens point. And uh, I was also an undergraduate here. Oh, okay. Yes. And so actually I was an undergrad here from 1988 to 1992 and uh, I was a forestry major, along with urban forestry as an emphasis area, but also I uh, had an interest in botany. So I double majored uh, from botany or in biology to emphasizing mm-hmm. in botany. So something about plants just uh, is what I gravitated towards. Do you have a specific class that you liked the most, uh, even if you were an undergrad? Oh, yeah, actually, as an undergrad, we'll focus on that. Anything that engaged me, I had some wonderful, phenomenal faculty that were just mentors. Mm-hmm. There's some faculty that uh, actually to this day I still work with. That was oh. been pretty cool. Uh, I got involved with uh, some undergrad research before we even had formal undergraduate research opportunities these days. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I got involved in it, and it was just fascinating of, of being able to learn how to s- discover things and being mentored to you know here's my understanding of the research or the phenomenon that we're seeing dr miller what do you think mm-hmm. so having that interaction as a student with faculty was important so we get back to the question uh so as a student any class that actually engaged me mm-hmm. and so i'm a very hands-on person i'm very experiential mm-hmm. so obviously point is phenomenal in our college because that's that's the emphasis we do is we, we mm-hmm. show you how to do something we tell you how to do it and then uh we let you do it through exploration right. getting the classes i don't have any class i don't like teaching every one of them i've, I've loved i've actually had a few classes that i've moved on from that others have taken over mm-hmm. uh but if i was asked to go back and teach those I would in a heartbeat because it's really it's not the class I'm teaching it's the interactions with students which to mm-hmm. me is just I'm privileged it's it's wickedly um you know the interactions that you get the students keep me young you know I'm, right. I'm really 97 years of age but I only look like I'm 53 <laughs> you know, I'm 53 but I feel um very young most days it's because I get engaged in conversations and and certainly uh um you know, these days, as I get, you know, older relative to when I first started, there's a closer of just age connection. Mm-hmm. So it was like the, the, you know, the young uncle or the older brother. Yeah. Uh, and now it's kind of evolved more for it's, it's like, oh, you're the, you're the, you're the father figure or grandpa. And so it's not that students ever had disrespect for me. 
I, there would really be no reason because I always, to me, the transactions are, yeah, you're a student, I'm a faculty, but we're equals in the learning mm -hmm. process. My job is to um, share the knowledge. Your job is to, to learn it and then ask questions if you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And so getting back to questions by classes I like teaching, every one of them, and especially because they give me an opportunity to go out in the field, but mm -hmm. really pass on you know, what I was given as a student. And I'll mm -hmm. just end with one more thing is there's often this phrase that we, uh, you know, we stand on the shoulders of others. Mm -hmm. And that's true. I have past students now that I actually work with uh, professionally and what's, which is, it's so gratifying because number one, they, they still want to hang out with me. Uh, but number two is I get a, you know, it's no longer a student mentor. It's, um, it's a colleague, colleague mm -hmm. transaction and, you know, mutually learning from each other. And in some regards, actually, I'm learning from former students, which is, you know, that in itself is just so gratifying. You pass something on that was passed on to you, but you've elevated the student to the next level. We're really, mm -hmm. uh, if you watch professional sports or there's probably a good analogy is if you look at a quarterback, the things they're doing today is really things that they're, you know, or skateboarding, maybe that's a better connection. The tricks that skateboarders do these days, mm -hmm. you know, are, are learning from the mistakes of people in the past or the successes and then elevating it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned that you didn't have a formal research experience kind of when you were an undergrad. Um, now no, I did. Oh, I did. did. I did. Yeah. Actually, I was able to publish a, a peer-reviewed scientific paper on the research I did. No, back when I was a student, there wasn't the formal opportunities. Oh, okay. I was lucky to get one. Mm -hmm. These days, no, it's, there's phenomenal opportunities. Your question mm -hmm. was going to be Carter? Yeah. So I was wondering um, what what you would recommend students to be able to get involved. Uh, like if if you could do something differently, how, how would you explain that to some of the students that may be listening? Uh, like that the in ways that they can be successful start out early so as a freshman or a sophomore just get involved with something i think the biggest fear is i have to do a lot of work nope mm -hmm. uh, as for for example if you're in the wildlife society you could help out with uh, the wood duck project mm -hmm. you know and it could be as much as just going out and volunteering a half a day of your life to um, collect some wood some data Mm -hmm. If you're involved in, uh, you know, soils, soils have some long-term projects. So it could mm -hmm. be just, it's the biggest thing is the social interaction mm -hmm. also, which is, was excellent. Or maybe you actually start taking the lead on some question that you actually have, but more likely you have no idea what research question I should ask, mm -hmm. but you have an interest in, right. if it was, um, you know, parasitology, you know, uh, you know, colleague Jess over in Orlovsky and biology would be someone you'd certainly interact with. If you like dead mm -hmm. animal things, Dr. DeBay. Right. If you like uh, urban forestry questions, Dr. Werner and myself. And so at a minimum, actually of uh, finding, you know, what really interests you. And there's someone in this college that can actually help mm -hmm. or direct you to someone that actually um, could certainly help you with uh, just kind of going down the discovery process. Mm -hmm. The nice thing is you don't have to succeed. You could fail with your research. And just in that in itself is a learning opportunity. Is there any research that students can get that you're that you have uh, that students can get involved with? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm doing work with uh, canopy analysis right now in the state of Wisconsin. So we're asking the question of um, what, uh, how does 
actually, I'll, there's an artificial intelligence system that predicted canopy cover in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I was going to use that for a part of a project that I'm working on right now. We soon discovered that actually the artificial intelligence system is probably underestimating canopy cover to a large mm -hmm. extent. So we're actually uh, basically um, using the, the truthful or the age old practice of basically dots on a map, which are sample points and saying, mm -hmm. is it tree canopy or not tree canopy? Hmm. I do work with Emerald Ashbor. I do treat, work with trees and construction. So that work I did as an undergrad, I've since mentored uh, two undergrad research teams where they hmm. actually uh, worked on the project and collected data that we've since published. Uh, you know, anything that related to growth of trees, uh, hmm. biology. So anything you think about plants, I may hmm. not be the person, but you could talk to me and I could direct you to the right person. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's important for students to know that they can reach out. Yeah, and, and so you may not reach out to the right person, but we'll have the idea of who might be, or maybe you did find the right person. So at a minimum, just uh, you know, talk to your advisor and say, I'm interested in research. Mm -hmm. I have no clue what to do. And your advisor would probably say, what interests you? What wakes you up in the morning going, I really want to wake up at 5 a.m. to go outside to look at wood ducks. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, no, I'm more of an evening person. So maybe some sort of lab work that actually works out with your habits of sleeping patterns. So mm -hmm. talk to your advisor first. Or if you want to reach out to me, at a minimum, I can uh, put you in the right direction, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So what do, where do you think students can find jobs? Like, what does that field look like? Um, like, are there, are there different paths kind of in forestry or civiculture that um, you can go into? Oh, definitely. Actually, uh, think of the outdoors. And so when I was a, a seventh grader, I was, as I said earlier, I was outside all the time. But mm. my family also camped on a regular basis. So my uh, dream job, my first one was being a shortstop for the Minnesota Twins. And then my jerk parents moved to a new town and that didn't have baseball in high school. So thanks to them, that, that whole career opportunity was just washed away. No, mm -hmm. my parents are not jerks, but, um, and I probably would never had the skills even to be the Minnesota twin shortstop, you know, <laughs> um, nor pitcher or catcher or any other position for that matter. Mm -hmm. But uh, being outside camping, I wanted to be a park superintendent. That mm -hmm. really seemed like a fascinating job because all the park superintendent did all day was drive around and talk to campers and collect money. I thought, mm -hmm. wow, what a good job. That's all. You no, know. actually, there's a lot of what I know about park superintendents now is your land managers, your uh, sociologists, mm -hmm. you're certainly a uh, econometrician. So you understand money, basically budgeting. And so just the wealth of things you could do, uh, you know, being a park superintendent at any of the state or county uh, um, campgrounds or forests for that matter mm -hmm. I actually have classmates of mine that's what they do now is um, they're you know they are actually a park superintendent for one of the campgrounds in Wisconsin mm -hmm. the so that's one career path another one is as you mentioned civil culture and so you could think of that as more of managing forests in a less built environment so I like to refer to it as either smoky bear or rural forestry mm -hmm. and so uh, you know you know Perhaps you understand who Smokey the Bear is, but it's like forests in a less populated area. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the traditional is you go outside of Stevens Point and you see, um, you know, very few roads or buildings and you see trees. Mm -hmm. And so another one is ecological restoration is where actually you're, you're trying to reclaim lands that maybe have had some bad land practices or maybe we've changed the system so much that we're trying to reintroduce some natural processes. You know, one of them could be like fire, for example, and that's mm -hmm. a very hot 
issue. Haha, no pun intended. Yeah. You know, it's it's a burning field to get into these days, but it's more than just fire. It's actually it could be as much as um, you know, removal of invasive species to facilitate mm-hmm. the natural uh, you know plant communities that could be there. And then an area I actually work in that there's more jobs than students is actually urban forestry. So if you actually like working with people, you like working with plants, you like decision-making, you just actually like waking up in the morning, being outdoors, but some days actually you like to be indoors. So being a a person who cares for trees and communities is just a booming career field. Mm -hmm. And the the pay actually in, in forestry per se is actually really decent is, uh, and I'll give you an example from municipal forestry because I did the research to actually find out this answer is, is a person who might be the forester for let's say this a city like Stevens Point is you make 50% more than the national median of all occupations, wow. which is about 50K is the average pay in the United States. Um, <laughs> a municipal forester makes about 75,000 a year. You could be actually a consulting arborist for a tree care company. So you actually work with a landowner and say, mm-hmm. Hello, Mrs. Jones. I really like your maple tree in the backyard. Oh, why am I out here again? Oh, yes. Uh, you see some blemishes on the leaf. It's like, oh, nothing to be concerned about. Those are just normal caused by a, you know, a mite and it causes that little um, bump on the leaf. Doesn't hurt the plant at all. Won't kill it. It's just a natural ecological thing. Oh, but by the way, I noticed that there's some dead wood in your tree and actually pruning that for safety or just the health of the tree. And so you're using your knowledge to actually educate others, but also make a a living where you can raise a family, but Mm -hmm. also make, you know, the community a much better place with healthy, happy trees. Another aspect is actually working uh, in utility forestry. So I like to refer to that as anti-silviculture. So rather than growing trees upward, you're actually keeping vegetation from growing in transmission corridors. And so, so you don't have trees actually hitting power lines, which is never a good thing. If you're really curious of what could happen, just uh, Google um, a utility line tree conflict and you may get a snap crackle pop where the tree actually is making a electrical connection mm-hmm. ground fault and it actually literally is sparking arcing and then starting on fire and before it falls to the ground that um, is not good. no it's not good for anyone it's certainly not safe but if you drive through um, an area where you see utility lines the whole that whole arena of vegetation management, yeah, it may sound like, oh, you're just keeping trees away. No, what you're actually creating are some ecologically very rich environments. And so utilities are trying to minimize the cost of operations. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to use ecology. So trying to favor plants that actually can grow in a utility corridor that Mm -hmm. can keep other woody plants away, you know, AKA a tree, Mm -hmm. but also creating pollinator environments, creating environments for actually, um, uh, uh, you know, birds and other wildlife. Mm-hmm. And so some of these transmission corridors are becoming ecologically very, very rich. Yeah, well, the, my my wildlife background is telling me about all of the surface area that or those edge spaces yes. that is being created. So that would be high in biodiversity and increasing that. Oh, would... huge. Yeah, and they actually, oh, there's oh. been some pioneering work in the, the Eastern United States and Pennsylvania, um, uh, for example, and in Pennsylvania, uh, the corridors, it was actually the uh, Bramble and Burns uh, research. It was over 50 years of, of their wildlife biologist from Penn State who was actually mm-hmm. just, you know, studying the impacts of, um, of just transmission corridor uh, uh, control 
And that's mm -hmm. kind of the terminology they used back then was because you're kind of controlling vegetation. And it's now actually called vegetation management. <laughs> yeah, so you're using the your ecological knowledge. Again, you're trying to minimize costs to utility uh, electrical power transmission. But mm -hmm. you're also uh, in the process of using the science that we know now. It's you're creating some really biologically rich environments. And Carter, as you pointed out, as a wildlife um, biologist, you understand edge has high biodiversity. So the pollinator part is so fascinating right now, obviously, because mm -hmm. um, pollinating environments are very beneficial uh, to society. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really so, interesting. Yeah. If you want to learn more about urban forestry, not to, uh, um, you know, sell something because my job is not to sell necessarily as much a, a field mm -hmm. but in areas of discovery that really fascinate what you do mm -hmm. if you're really curious about you know you love the outdoors you love people you love trees of the opportunities in the field i work with um oh man there are so many opportunities and the jobs pay very well so this is a growing field oh it yes um it's been growing for uh well, part of it was because of trees because of Dutch elm disease mm -hmm. kind of caused this whole span. But actually what we know now is trees are not just nicety things. They, they look nice. They give shade. They're actually necessities. Trees are actually considered as, as infrastructure of communities now. People mm -hmm. understand and get that. The biggest thing is human health. Uh, if you've had me in 250, you may uh, remember an urban forestry lecture. I call it the what about Bob approach, get away from your problems. Mm -hmm. And so I called also the Schmeichel effect. So Schmeichley reserve, take a walk mm -hmm. in 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, you're, you're feeling much more relaxed. You're less stressful. Your heart mm -hmm. rate is better. And so you're just the human health aspect of, of nature. And so mm -hmm. that's what we do in urban forestry is we create nature but it's a huge beneficial impact on society. Mm -hmm. so we're, we're really, uh, you know, people used to refer to people that work with trees. Oh, you must be a tree doctor. No, mm -hmm. we're actually, you know, human health specialists in one regard. <laughs> but yeah. There's so many cool benefits. I would mm -hmm. not trade in what I do. Um, nah, no, nah, I love what I do. That's good. That's good to hear. Yep. So before we, before we kind of wrap up, um, is there, what is, what is something about your job that you have right now uh, that you don't like or you find annoying or kind of kind of tussles your hair a little bit? Oh, just all the administrative uh, uh, fun, you know. Uh, if I could do with, if I could change anything, it'd be like, just listen to me, trust me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, so that's, and that's just not, a, that's just not me. That certainly happens in a lot of operations. It's um, it's the the systems we put in place. Part of it's controlling, mm -hmm. it's a, um, which is a vital business function, but it also um, it impedes the flow of activity and work. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there's a very important part of that. Every one of you is going to discover that in life is some mm -hmm. systems actually have more bureaucracy than others. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, if I could change anything, it'd be just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah but that's certainly not reality so that's probably the only thing that uh that you know causes me any heartburn and and it's just not it's actually it could be any place i've actually worked mm. and, uh, uh, but i've worked a few jobs where um it was uh you know and i actually work with students it's like yeah, i trust you you know just uh don't uh don't make me not trust you mm -hmm. and so uh, for me success in life has always been i was not being micromanaged which i'm not here 
But if I'm micromanaged, I'm going to fail in a heartbeat. But if I'm given the opportunity to uh, just figure out the problems, I can mm-hmm. succeed very, very well. And so actually turning it back on a positive uh, to your question of, hey, what don't you like about your job? There's actually nothing. And it's actually, more importantly, I find uh, it kind of like a puzzle is if I have a, a roadblock, it's like, well, you can't do that. Okay, if I understand the rules, I'm going to win because I'm going to find some way to get around, not violate the rules, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find ways to actually get the work done without, you know, number one, getting in trouble because I violated something that I shouldn't have done. You know, so ethically, I'm doing things appropriately. Uh, but if I know the rules, it can be really successful if given the opportunity to figure out uh, how to kind of tweak the system and, mm-hmm. you know, in the favor of getting work done. Yeah. So, you betcha. so what about the flip side of that? What, what do you enjoy most? Like what's the best part about your job? Waking up in the morning. And yep. I often say as I'm a, I don't say I'm going to work. I say I'm going to school mm-hmm. because I, I personally do not believe I have a job. I mm-hmm. wake up in the morning going, I have a life. And I, mm-hmm. what I do is just wickedly fascinating some days I work with students in the classroom, other days I work with students in research, other days I work with past students as colleagues now in, in research, mm-hmm. other days I work as um, really a, a you know, social uh, caregiver where I work with students that may have some crises in life and we f- mm-hmm. figure out some ways to make life less of an issue. Other days I, I get to do social work, not social work, um, um, service work where I'm professionally mm-hmm. very, very active. Mm-hmm. And that'd be the other advice is get active, you know, as a student in a, you know, student society of something. Mm-hmm. And then later in life, get active professionally. I've been able to travel um, throughout the world because of number one, I just volunteered my time to get active and, mm-hmm. and I found out I enjoyed it. And then I got asked to, would you like to do this or this? And it led mm-hmm. me to places like going to Australia that someone wow. paid to bring me over there because um, of just volunteering my time. But it started as a student where I got active and it wasn't never doing any of the stuff because I thought, boy, it's going to lead me to go to some place in the world. I did it because it was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the right thing is, is certainly as a student, you're going to learn from it, you know, student involvement with an organization. So getting back to your question, what do I like about my job? The variety of things. And so teaching of students, the research side, the professional service, which are kind of the three pillars of academia. And uh, mm-hmm. having the opportunity and actually, uh, you know, the, the mentoring, for example, our former dean was just a great mentor of saying, well, just make it happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I can, I can do that. And right. that. But if I was told you have to do this, this, and this, and here's all the steps you have to follow, I'd probably melt and fail in the heartbeat because I'm mm-hmm. just, I, that's not who I am. So but I have others that uh, they, they need to be told to do this, this, and this. That's, I'm just not one of them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. That you was really you. helpful. I think is I think it's important for students to know that they can reach out to you and that there's such a diverse field uh, in forestry and things like that that they can that they can go into. Um, do you have any Do you have any um, any under or any graduate students at all that you're working with that students could reach out to? Yeah, yeah. Um, Eden, who uh, is working on the the tree canopy project. I usually have one or two graduate students I've been fortunate to work with uh, on an annual basis, but yeah, she's currently, uh, uh, that's the project that she's actually uh, overseeing. And, you know, I like to say I hang around people that make me look good. So it's, (laughs) you know, students that uh, do the work that actually I 
I've been fortunate to be a part of a team. Yeah, I may be the PI leading the team, but no, we're really equals on the project and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, solving the science and at the end of the day, actually writing papers, which is kind of interesting because if you saw me in high school where, you know, a DF in English uh, in high school would not be the abnormal thing. Mm-hmm. It's just something that today we're actually enjoying for example, this weekend, uh, you know, writing a couple scientific papers. I just, I don't know why I enjoy doing that. I didn't as an undergrad, I hated writing, uh, but I think because mm-hmm. I was told you have to write this and this is how you're supposed to do it versus as a scientist, you get to come up with, well, yeah, there's a scientific method and you know how you should structure papers, but they don't mm-hmm. really say how you have to write it. So you're really writing it how you best think it should be said. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I uh I wake up in the morning going, yeah, life's good. Okay. Yeah, that's, do this. that's what students look forward to. That's what they want to hear. Yeah, you bet. And I got maybe another 20 years left and uh, I'm 53, so I figured by the time I'm in my early 70s, um seriously, I, I could see me still being here in t- for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm actually on the tail end of my career. I've been doing this for about 30 years, so so uh, hopefully uh still got another 10 to 20 years left in me before I say <laughs> pass it on. Yeah. Uh, But so I hope that you guys learned a lot from Dr. Hauer uh, this week. Um, If you guys have any questions or anything, you guys can reach out to his email. Um, And then I hope that you guys can make it next week to hear about Kendra Liticote. If you guys go to um, anchor.fm forward slash CNR reporter podcast, that's all lowercase. And you guys can click the message button and then you can ask Kendra some questions that we'll be able to address in the next episode. So it's a little chilly out there today. So I hope you guys stay warm and I will see you guys next week.